So David reminds us of that in the Psalms, that he has not seen the righteous forsaken. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, as we recognize that you are Jireh, as we've sung about this morning, you are the provider, you are the one that we can count on. Lord, and you can give us strength in our lives, strength in facing temptation, strength in the wilderness. Lord, as we continue to look at David this morning, help us to see with eyes that understand what you have for us, not just for knowledge, but Lord, as we strive to honor you in our lives today and this week. Lord, may nothing distract us from your word, and may we be encouraged in your grace. May we be challenged by your holiness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we left David, and his support had been taken from him, and he was running from King Saul. And so we can pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 22, the first two verses. It says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. This morning, we're going to be looking at two aspects of of David's life as he's running from King Saul here in chapters 22 through 24 of 1 Samuel. First, to see what he is learning in the wilderness. You know, we don't choose the wilderness times in our lives, those times that are difficult, but yet there is much we can learn during those times. And so in connection with what we looked at last week, some more lessons from the wilderness, we can see, first of all, that we will all spend time in the wilderness. Oftentimes, we we spend our time trying to avoid those difficult circumstances, But yet, we can be confident that we will all spend time in that wilderness. 1 Samuel 23, 14, in the midst of David running from King Saul, it says this, And David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Notice these next words, Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hands. We see that that David was facing a continual wilderness. And we need to be prepared because the wilderness times will come and they will be regular. This verse reminds us that, that Saul chased David every day. There was no rest for David. We're all going to spend the times in that wilderness. And then the challenge that we don't isolate 1 Samuel 22.1 that we had read earlier, it says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Often our first response when we're struggling, when, when we're fighting against discour- discouragement and depression is that we, we attempt to isolate ourselves. Maybe it's pride we don't want to let others know we're hurting. Maybe it's embarrassment. 
We don't want people to see our struggles. And so even if we're in the midst of a crowd, we can attempt to isolate ourselves. But instead, we need others when we're hurting. We need those people around us that can encourage us, that can be that paraclete, that person that walks alongside to hold us up. The biblical term, that term is paraclete in the Greek, and it's a picture of the Holy Spirit walking alongside us. We can also have individuals that walk there with us when we're hurting. Now, although we don't know for sure, we can probably assume that David went to the cave to be alone. Maybe he didn't think that anyone else had been through what he was facing, and so they would not understand. If you remember the story of Elijah in in, uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, he had left his faithful servant and he went off by himself out into the wilderness. But it's interesting here, we see there in verse 1 of chapter 22 that David's family came to rally around him. Now, if you remember back to chapter 16, that's a far cry from what we saw of his family then when when they had the anointing party and they didn't even invite David. But now his brothers and his, all of his father's house came there to be with him as he faced the wilderness and the wrath of King Saul. And then soon after the family came, we see that that 400 others came to join him in the cave. Now there's more to their story that we'll be getting on to in just a minute here in chapter 24. But we see that the David, although he may have wanted to be alone, there were over 400 people that joined him. And when you're discouraged, seek others that can be an encouragement to you. And if you know someone around you who is discouraged or depressed, you can be that encouragement. You can be that one that that stands with them, that encourages them, them in the times of darkness in their lives. We see another important thing to do when we're in the wilderness is that we need to serve don't sulk. When we're struggling, our, our focus naturally turns inward. And it's very easy for us to feel sorry for ourselves. And, and there are real hurts that we are facing. But instead, it is so important, instead of turning inward, we need to continue to serve and stay others-focused. Verse 22, or verse 2 of chapter 22, it says, And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was disconnected or discontented gathered to him. Notice these next words. So he became captain over them. There were about 400 men with him. God gave David a class of 400 men to teach. And boy, did they need help. Notice who they were. They were the distressed. They were the in, those in debt. They were those who were discontented. Some of them, I'm sure, were all three. They were out there in the wilderness because they were the misfits. Running from the law or just discouraged with life. 
And God brought them all into David's classroom. A group, many unhappy, many hard luck cases, dropped into David's classroom in the cave. But we need to make sure that even when we're going through difficult times that we stay others focused rather than self-focused. And as we spoke of last week, the most important understanding as we're in the wilderness, the most important thing that we can learn is that God is our refuge. If you remember from last week, David's wife abandoned him. And then the three people around him, his mentor, his friend, and his provider, all three of those were taken from him. But when we feel abandoned, when we feel all alone, we can have confidence in God. We can have confidence in his strength, his faithfulness in our life. In chapter 23, David and his men risked their lives to rescue a town called Kila from the Philistines. So they went, they, they risked their lives to, to fight the Philistines to defend this town, and you'll never guess what happened. Some of the people from that town sent word to Saul that David was there. And this would be a time when, when David and his men could be vulnerable to an attack from Saul. So can you imagine it? Here, they are risking their lives for, their, for these people who turned their back on them. And share their whereabouts to King Saul. Sometimes you may feel like you're in a place where, where not only no one understands, but no one cares. And that can create even a, a greater discouragement, a greater depression. And so here were David and his men. David, the mighty warrior and his misfits, risking their lives, but yet looking over their shoulder knowing that all of their hard work and their concern and care for others was not reciprocated. David and the men also must have felt so alone. And so in the midst of that, David writes Psalm 142. Now there are several psalms that, that David wrote while he was running from King Saul in the wilderness, in the caves. One of them, Psalm 142. And I want you just to listen to the first three verses of this psalm. And then we're going to look a little farther into it. But just listen to verses 1 through 3. Here's David running for his life. No one understands, feels like no one cares. And this is what he says. He says, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. Listen to verse 3. It says, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, but then all of a sudden, things change. Here at the end of verse 3, it says, then you knew my path in the way in which I walk. They have secretly set a snare for me. Lord, 
I cry out to you. I complain to you. I want to encourage you that God is there to hear your sorrow. He can be that refuge. 37 times in the Psalms we see that the term refuge is used. That place where we can go for protection. And David, in the midst of all of the wilderness that he's facing, he can recognize that he can cry out to God. And we can do the same thing. Notice as it goes on in verses 4 and 5, and these will be on the screen. It says this, Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. But then verse 5, I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. God is our refuge. We can praise him. And it goes on in the, in the final verses of that psalm. And again, in verse 6, a great picture of what depression is. But then in verse 7, praise to God. And I sort of picture it this way, that, that here is David, and, and again, he's, he's all alone, but he's not alone. And many of the men with him are going through the same feelings that he is going through. But yet he can lead them in the focus on the one who is his refuge, God, the one who is faithful, who will never fail. And I could picture them in the cave. David leading them in worship, singing this psalm. Because they would sing these psalms. They were songs to the Lord. And they could feel that pressure, feeling all alone. No one understands, no one is there, but God, you are my portion in the land of the living. You are my refuge, the one to whom I can cling. So we see the importance of learning our lessons in the wilderness. But also there's a second part to that, and that in, to this passage, and that's there's temptation in the cave. As I mentioned earlier in chapter 23, David and his men went, they rescued this city that was being attacked by the Philistines, but then the people from the city, the city warned Saul that, that David was there, and so they had to flee back up to the hills, and they go to an area called En Gedi, famous for its caves, and so they found a cave there that they hid in, there in that, the highlands of En Gedi. And so as chapter 24 begins, they're, they're here in the cave there in En Gedi, and, and King Saul and his men are chasing after David, and they come to the area. They're tracking and, and trying to find and take care of David and his 400 misfits. And so King Saul and his army, 3,000 chosen soldiers, are there in the area, and, and King Saul has a problem. He needs to go to the bathroom, and so he, he goes up into one of the caves, a little privacy, and as he goes up there, 
he unknowingly goes into the cave where David and his men are hiding in the inner recesses of that cave. And so Saul is there. David and his men, Saul defenseless. David could have so easily won swing of the sword or stick him through. Saul would be dead. Can you imagine the the soldiers out there waiting outside and, and Saul goes in and David comes out. Maybe even taking the head of Saul with him. Hey guys, <laughs> there's a new sheriff in town. It's me. Would have been so easy. Temptation. You know, it seemed like God had had delivered Saul into the hand of David. But you know, in that moment, David was faced with some temptations. And I believe they're temptations similar to the ones that we face every day. Now, Now, we probably don't have the temptation, I'm hiding in a cave and my enemy walks in, do I kill him or not? That's probably not the temptation. But it's the same temptations that we face. Many of them subtle temptations, but temptations with disastrous results. So let's look at two main temptations that David faced here as he was in the cave and a defenseless Saul was was in that cave not knowing that David was there. First temptation that we face, just as David faced, is that of rationalization. Notice 1 Samuel 24, verse 4. It says this, Then the man of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. David, here it is. God's delivered your enemy. But notice what, in the end of that verse, what David does. It says, And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Saul still had no clue. And what happens? David's men say, kill him. And David cuts off a little piece of cloth from the bottom of his robe. Now, how does this fit rationalization? You know, it would have been so easy for David to rationalize improper actions in the situation. The most obvious of that would be to kill Saul. I mean, Saul tried to kill him. And Saul would have, if if David would have been in there and Saul would have been hiding, David not knowing he was there, Saul wouldn't have even thought twice. He would have just killed David. He was out, yes, God brought my enemy and I'm going to kill him. You know, and his men helped him out with that rationalization. And they even used the God card. Have you ever uh, thought of the God card? The God card is, well, well, obviously God has done this. We like to use the, the, the thought process of the end justifies the means. God has said that, that you are going to be king, David. 
God has said he's going to protect you from King Saul and one day you're going to be on the throne. So obviously, God must be in this. But David knew that killing the Lord's anointed, assassinating the king, was not a godly act. And so he said, no. I'm not going to do something ungodly to lead to where I believe God has the ending of the story. But we can have that same rationalization. The end justifies the means. This is what I believe God wants the ending to be, so I'm going to do whatever I want to in order to get to that place. We can rationalize. But you'll see, even in this, we see that David does do an action. And this is a very peculiar part of the story. His men say, kill him. And what does David do? He goes and he cuts off a little portion of Saul's robe. Now, that seems like such a small thing. And what was David doing and why was he doing it? Well, if we look at the next verses, we see maybe a little bit into the mind of David why he chose to do that action and also the conviction that he felt in doing it. Notice what it says in verses 5 and 6. It says, Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut off Saul's robe. Notice verse 6. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. Now, I'm sure that these men of David, these 400 guys, are thinking, David has lost his mind. I mean, we all think he should have killed the guy, and he feels bad because he embarrasses him a little bit. David, what's your problem? But you see, David knew not only was it improper to kill the king, but it was improper to embarrass the king. Was Saul a godly man? No. He was acting in a very ungodly manner. But David recognized that although Saul was not acting in a godly manner, he was still the king. And the action that he took dishonored the king that God had put in that position. And so the conviction was great upon David. 
And so he shares with the, the men around him, saying, Guys, I apologize, I've sinned. And they're like, What? You let this guy go who's trying to kill you. But it teaches us an important lesson. See, oftentimes we rationalize, rationalize in that the, we say the end justifies the means. But we also can rationalize in saying, oh, it's no big deal. And that's a very dangerous thing to say. Yeah, I know I probably shouldn't have done it, but it's no big deal. I mean, everybody else would have done it. They probably would have done more. I mean, it would have been so easy for David to say, yeah, they wanted me to kill him. I just embarrassed him a little bit. But how often are we tempted to rationalize, to rationalize in saying, you know, uh, the end justifies the means, or also to rationalize saying it's no big deal. We need to have that same sensitivity, that same conviction that David had. Maybe it's something at work, stealing a little time or taking a few paper clips. You know, it's a big company. They won't miss it. Or maybe it's, I'm not really working hard today, but, you know, I've, I've had a rough week, and, and there are so many days I work extra hard. So I can slough a little bit today. Maybe it's, and, and I'm stepping on toes here, maybe it's with our taxes. You know, Get a little extra money, but I don't need to report it. I pay too much anyway. I mean, if I ask us all to raise our hand, how many of us think we pay too many taxes? We don't, I'd raise my hand. So I'm just, you know, balancing the books a little bit. And I know the temptation is there and real. And we've all struggled with that temptation, whether it's taxes or other things, whatever it is, it's so easy. But oh, to have that conscience of David, to say, yeah, to others it seems like no big deal, but to God, I've chosen to do something that goes against his will, his laws, or his plan. Oh, to have that conscience, that sensitivity. It is a big deal. Subtle temptation causes us to choose wrong actions or to have wrong attitudes. Don't rationalize and say, it's no big deal. And that leads us to the second temptation. And we've been, I mentioned subtle temptations. This one may not be as subtle. And that's the temptation of revenge. 
You see, whenever we're mistreated or attacked, our natural response is the response of revenge. We look for ways to get back at that person who hurt us. And for David in this situation, it fit perfectly with the temptation to rationalize his action. Saul is getting what he deserves. What goes around comes around. But David did not fall to the temptation of revenge. He chose to do what was right, no matter what his enemy chose to do. Notice what he says in 1 Samuel 24, 12. Now, Saul went to the bathroom, put his robe back on, went out, had no clue what was happening. So he gets out a little ways, and David comes out to the front of the cave. And calls out to Saul, hey Saul! And Saul finally recognizes that just a few moments earlier, his life was in the balance. And David called out to Saul, and here's what he says in verse 12 of 1 Samuel 24. He says, let the Lord judge between you and me and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. Saul... You need to realize that I could have just killed you so easily, but I didn't because that's not my job. It's God's job to be the judge, not David's. Revenge. David allowed God to handle the situation. David's job was to do what was right and let God take care of the rest. Notice what it says in Romans chapter 12, verses 18 through 21. The Apostle Paul sharing about how we handle our enemies and revenge. It says this, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says me. No, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's some very important principles in this passage. Number one, our goal is to live at peace with everyone, including our enemies. You see, I can't control the action of others, but my action must focus on the goal of peace. Even that person who is my enemy, my, I should strive to be at peace with them. Maybe you're struggling in, in a relationship, a friendship, a marriage, with sibling, whoever it is, that struggle in that relationship. And what do you say? You say, oh, they have mistreated me, so I am going to give it back. That's not what God wants us to do. As much as is in you, live at peace with everyone. Another principle from that passage, revenge is not an option. There are no exceptions. Paul did not say, do not avenge except in the case of, and you can fill in whatever you want to in the blank. No. Do not avenge. Period. 
But then he goes on a, a step further, and we also see the principle that, that not only are we to not repay evil for evil, but we're to respond with good. Don't just ignore the person who has done evil. We're to do good to them. Not be neutral, but to be active in the positive way. We want justice, but we're called to demonstrate grace. We want revenge, but we're to respond with love. David chose to honor King Saul and let God deal with the actions that Saul had. Verse 7 gives us an interesting glimpse as we close this morning. And, and it's fascinating how David used this as a teaching time with his men. It says in verse 7, now you remember what happened in verse 6? In 5 and 6, David went and cut off the bottom of his robe. After in verse 4, the men said, kill him, kill him. God's brought him here. And so David goes cuts off his, the, the bottom edge of his robe. So we see that in verses 4 through 6. So then verse 7 comes. And in verse 7... They have a little discussion. Now, we've got to say something here. They're still in the same cave. Saul is still there. So I don't think it was a yelling match. And obviously, it was a big cave. I don't know how this all went about, but it did. It says, so David, in verse 7, David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. These words were the words of verse 6. Where David said, I am not going to take my and use my hand to kill the anointed of God. You see, not only did David's action keep him from sinning, but his action taught others around him how to have a godly life also. You see, the actions that we take affect us and our relationship with God, our relationship with others. But the actions that we take also affect others in the influence that we have on their lives. And David's men, although at the time from the statements they make, they're like, David, we don't have a clue what you're doing and why you're doing it. It's amazing as you follow throughout the lives of David and who, these people who become his mighty men. Many of those people be, who became the mighty men of David, the mighty men of Israel, were one, some of these 400 guys that were hiding out in the cave. At this time, they were misfits, but they became warriors. Why did they become warriors? Obviously, God was working in their lives, but God used David not only to teach, but to demonstrate what it meant to be a man of God. We have that same responsibility, that same opportunity. David, he learned lessons in the wilderness. And we need to remember when facing our times in the wilderness, God is our refuge. But also in the midst of it all, David faced temptation, temptation that would be so easy to fall to. But we need to recognize that when facing temptation, we need to do right and trust God for the results. And let me tell you, there were some amazing results that took place because David chose to do right.
Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness, for your love. I pray that you would help us today to recognize that you are God and we can rely upon you. You are our refuge, you are our strength, you are help in times of need. Lord, help us also to recognize when temptation comes that we can trust you. Do right, knowing that you are in control of the situation. Lord, help us this week, for those going through times of wilderness, to feel your comfort and your strength. And Lord, for each one of us as we face temptation, subtle or not, Lord, that we would be faithful, that we would do right, and honor you in our actions and our attitudes, and Lord, that you would be glorified in what we do. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.